Episode 130 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks, offering a free month of unrestricted use, and you don't even need a credit card for this trial. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. many situations in our lives where we could choose to do it the safe way. To make the choice to do the hard thing is a very powerful and developmental human experience. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Leadership is often central to our discussion, but we also cover topics like personal development, career, productivity, marketing, sales, business, and entrepreneurship. In just a moment, you and I will sit down with author Kathy Salit. She's written a book called Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work. I'll ask Kathy about the importance of making the distinction between the idea of knowing versus growing. I'll ask her to walk us through the five fundamentals of performance. I'll also ask why many teams seem to struggle with the same issues and quite a bit more. In the book, Kathy presents the revolutionary strategies that she's proven successful through about 20 years' experience custom-creating workshops for powerhouse clients, including American Express, Nike, Coca-Cola, and DirecTV. And what she does is she artfully blends techniques from theatrical performance with a new science of performative psychology. It's a topic I am quite fascinated by, and I think you will be too. For more on a similar topic and a similar discussion, refer back to episode 106 of the Read to Lead podcast, where we spoke with Michael Port and talked about his book, Steal the Show. An easy-to-remember link for that resource and the other links and resources Kathy and I will no doubt be talking about in just a moment. Simply refer to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 130 for episode 130. And be sure to stick around to the end of the show as I plan to share with you some exciting news related to the Read to Lead podcast. Before I invite Kathy to join us here in just a moment, I want to first tell you about our sponsor, Fresh Books, with a special offer just for you as a listener to this podcast. You can try out all their features for a month absolutely free just by going to this special URL, freshbooks.com slash read to lead. And while you're there, be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Now, one of the best parts is you don't even need a credit card for the trial. I've mentioned in past weeks that I've been using FreshBooks since 2009, and one of my favorite features is the checks in the mail feature. By that, I mean that it's not unusual for me to go to my mailbox on any given day and find checks in the mail as a result of the automatic recurring billing I've set up in FreshBooks. I have a handful of clients that pay me on a monthly basis. FreshBooks 
lets me set that up so it takes care of it without me having to even think about it. All I have to think about is, oh yeah, I might want to make a trip to the mailbox today because there could be some checks there. Of course, FreshBooks has many, many other great features. To read up on those and take advantage of that free month-long trial, again, no credit card needed, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Kathy Salit is the CEO and founder of Performance of a Lifetime, a consulting firm specializing in helping leaders and companies with the human side of business and strategy. She is a sought-after speaker and executive coach who's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Wired. And she is the author of Performance Breakthrough, a radical approach to success at work, a book I'm about two-thirds of the way through and absolutely loving. Kathy, welcome to Read to Lead. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, thank you, Jeff. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Well, as I dove in, I was fascinated, Kathy, by the story of your, your childhood and what ultimately led to later in life, the formation of, of your firm, Performance of a Lifetime. And I'm was hoping maybe you could share with us a little bit about some of those very unique experiences uh, as a child, particularly on the educational side of things. So I grew up in New York City, and I was in middle school in the around the around the early seventies, another century, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I, I had switched from elementary to middle school. Actually, back then, we called it junior high school. And I really didn't like the school uh, that I was now in. And I, um, I was having a very hard time. I felt like the what we were studying felt sort of outdated. Um, the environment at the school, the, the, it was sort of a, a very authoritarian and strict environment, which I sort of rebelled against. And... It was important the time that this is taking place. So this is the early 70s in America when there was just a lot of tumult mm. and uh, there was a lot of social action and ferment, if you will. And there were a lot of questions being asked about many things, including education. And I was swept up in all of that. Mm. So I was a teenager, but nonetheless um, struggling with where I was and feeling like I wanted to you know, be more relevant. I wanted school to be more relevant. Um, and I was pretty unhappy. I ended up getting sent to the principal's office a lot <laughs> and, and uh, because I got into arguments about this and that. And then one day, a young boy in the school, in my class, he asked the teacher to go to the bathroom, and the teacher wouldn't let him go. And I got into a fight again and got sent to the principal's office and, um, and then sent home. You were taking up for him, right? I was, yeah, yeah. And um, so I went home and talked to my mom, who had been an amazing source of support through all, throughout all of this, you know, always there trying to help me navigate this and that. And I told her my, my tale of woe for today, <laughs> for that day. And um, she said, you know what, sweetie, I think you should quit school and I think you should start your own. Start a school that you want to go to. Mm. And um, I said to her, Mommy, I'm 12. <laughs> and she said, I know how old you are. I'm your mother. <laughs> and then she said, I'm going to help you. Mm. And she asked whether other kids that I knew felt the way that I did. Uh, and I said, yeah. And she said, well, get them to quit. <laughs> so my mother was a, <laughs> was a real uh, hellraiser in that regard. <laughs> you know, let's get everybody to quit. And so about 25 of us 
uh, from the school that I had been going to as well as, as a couple of other schools because the word got out that we were starting a, a new school. And uh, we took over an abandoned uh, storefront in New York City, and we designed our own curriculum. And it included, you know, things that you would expect would be in school, like calculus, like geography, mm. but also, uh, you know, it was, it was the early seventies. It was also how to tie dye, <laughs> you know, and how to, bre- how to bake pumpkin bread. Mm. Uh, and, um, it was really quite an experience, Jeff, because mm. we didn't know what we were doing. We were creating something in some ways out of nothing, you know, we had to figure it out on our own. People came together. We, parents were involved, you know, innovative educators were involved. Of course, the students were, were involved. And in the process of both going to school, because we created a school that we could go to, we were also making it up as we went <laughs> along. And so that experience, Jeff, of having broken some rules by saying, I'm not going to go the traditional way, but then making up new ones, not just griping about the way things were, but actually creating something positive and doing it with limited resources and with sort of like a big idea, but we didn't know how. That just had a very big impact on me. And I think that you know, both in terms of setting me on a non-traditional path in my life. I never went back to traditional school uh, of any sort. I'm actually, I am a middle school dropout. Mm. I don't have a high school degree. I don't have a college degree. So that it, it, it both led me on an unusual path in my life, but it also taught me something about how to work and collaborate with people in a very creative and, um, if you will, a not knowing way, which I talk about in my book, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing how something is going to turn out, not knowing how to do something, but being invested in the creation of it and in what is to come. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that uh, Picasso quote at the very beginning. I'm always doing that, which I cannot do in order that I may learn to do it. Uh, I think yeah. that's a place we all need to to live in uh, more often. Have you ever imagined, Kathy, how differently your life might have turned out had your mother not given you permission to do that? Yes, I have imagined it, Jeff, and it's not a pretty picture. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't make you go there. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I have imagined that. And, mm. you know, obviously we make, we make life choices, right? And mm. um, you just you sort of go through that door. Mm. And uh, I, I find that fascinating because I think that there are so many opportunities, big and small, where we make choices and we go through a door that um, is maybe one that we didn't think we should or could do, mm. uh, walk through. And then we discover all kinds of possibilities that, that wouldn't have been there unless we had gone through that tour. Well, let's dive into some of that uh, content. Act one of, of Kathy's book, which uh, comprises the first two chapters, and I love the fact that you've divided it into acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it helps answer the question, why performance? So, so, Kathy, talk to us about the necessity of performance uh, and, and, and why you view our relationships as you do. And, and this idea of, uh, and you hinted at it a moment ago, this idea of growing versus, versus knowing. Yeah, so I think that uh, we human beings have a natural capacity to play, to perform. We do it as kids, 
right? And we're supported to do it as kids. And, and it's a very important part of childhood. It's not just for fun that we run around the playground, you know, pretending to be Superman and mm-hmm. Batman and Wonder Woman. It's also a way that we learn about how the world works. We pretend to be mommy, to be daddy, to be a fireman, to be a scientist, and so on. And, and that kind of play is, uh, is really a, a very crucial part of uh, learning both how the world works, what's in the world, how we develop our interests, <laughs> you know, things that we are excited by and are interested in that impact on us, you know, so that in terms of what we end up doing in our lives. And that play, while we're supported to do that as little kids, there's a certain point where we're sort of told, stop playing because now you have to start getting things right. Now you have to <laughs> learn the rules. And, you know, you want to learn the rules. I mean, our parents are well-meaning when, when they say that, you know, like you need to know that when the light is red, you shouldn't cross the street and so on and those kinds of things. And But what often ends up happening is that the kind of play, imagination, and experimentation that we experience as kids um, – it, it, it sort of it goes to the wayside. Now we have to get into the knowing part of life, you know, the acquisition of knowledge and information uh, at the expense of the experimentation and the play. And so what what researchers and psychologists have have been discovering is that as it's very important for childhood, that kind of play and performance, it's also important for adulthood. And so what our work, at performance of a lifetime. And what I talk about in the book is based on some of this research and discoveries. It's, it's a field called performative psychology. Mm. And the idea is that we, we create our lives. We perform our way to growth. That on the one hand, we're impacted on by our environments, but we also are the creators of our environments. And so performing, it's it, it sort of, somewhat, you know, counterintuitive because mm-hmm. what you're doing by performing on the one hand is you're not being yourself, you know, you're, you're pretending, you know, but, but you never stop being yourself. Uh, you're always who you are and who you are becoming, who you are not. Performing as an adult gives you a way to grow into who you are becoming to grow into who you are not yet. And that's, that's the, a very different kind of activity than if you will, just reading a book about how to do something. So for example, when people become parents, they don't know how to do that. People pretend to know how to be parents. (laughs) You're performing your way into it. I mean, yes, of course, parents read books and, you know, and you get all the help that you can, but, you, you figure it out while you're raising your, your kids. You learn how to do it in the performance of it, if that makes sense. Mm. And uh, so I think we can do that more in our lives, uh, in all aspects of our lives and our work. I like the example you gave in the book related to this. I think it was the uh, the child with the, on the bike and the training wheels are coming off and mom is behind him. And he's sort of uh, learning to ride and, and then fearful of it all at the same time. He's seeing his friends ride around and he wants to do that, but he doesn't know how to do it yet. Yeah, exactly. And he has to pretend to, to be a bike rider in order to become a bike rider. And mom is supporting him to do that. And that's, a, that's an important part of the picture, too, because there is somebody in the mix 
who's saying you can do that. And sometimes it's other kids and sometimes it's parents, but uh, you know, it's, it's people you're being related to as who you are and who you're not yet. And that we call that um, in a, a performance of a lifetime. And I talk about this in the book, it's called the becoming principle. Mm. Okay. And bike riding is sort of, that's a universal experience that we all have, but that's whether you're leading a meeting, whether you're taking on a new job, um, whether you're starting a family, you know, all of these things require being who you are not yet and performing and pretending helps you get there. Well, the becoming principle that, that Kathy just mentioned, uh, she breaks it down in act two of the book into the five fundamentals of, of performance. I'm wondering, Kathy, if you can, can touch on each of these to a degree, kind of walk us through these five phases in, in the time that we have. Sure thing. Uh, so the first fundamental of performance is to choose to grow. And um, simply put, and I'd underline choose, okay? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes we're, if you will, forced to grow right. because of circumstances. <laughs> it's like, you know, you suddenly are in a meeting at work and somebody says, uh, oh, Diana, you know, would you please, you know, lead us through the process that you went through with client A and B, you know, and you're like, ah, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I didn't, you know, and so you, you sort of have no choice in the matter. Mm. But even within that, you can make a choice about how to perform that. You could perform that by being freaked out <laughs> right? and, and freezing up. Mm-hmm. Or you could perform as if that is exactly what I wanted to do. Thank you so much, John, for giving me that opportunity, you know, whether you say it or not. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, you're, you're giving yourself the support to go forward. In, and there are many situations in our lives where we could choose to do it the safe way. You know, we could say, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in that project because A, I don't know how to work with these high powered people or B, you know, they're going to see what I, you know, what I don't know. Uh, and to make the choice to, to do the hard thing, to take on the hard task is, is a, is, is a very powerful and developmental human experience. And so that's one of the things that you need to do to perform your way to growth. Uh, you choose the thing that feels hard, including, by the way, things like asking other people for help. Sometimes people can feel like, oh, I have to know how to do this, and so I can't ask anybody for help. But uh, that can be a way to grow, too. So that's one fundamental Another fundamental is uh, build ensembles everywhere, perhaps otherwise known as teams, although I talk about the, in the book about there being a distinction between the two. But, mm-hmm. but, but as an actor and as a performer, I, I have an acting background. I'm also an improviser and a singer. I've had the, the privilege of being able to work in creative ensembles all of my life, we are not alone, <laughs> although we feel like we are often. And the culture is very individually focused. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of benefit to that, I think. But there's also a downside. And so I'm trying to, not in any way to deny, deny individualism, um, but I think we can do more by way of being connected to the fact that we live and grow and work with others. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, uh, one of the suggestions that he he gives people is to form a board of directors Mm -hmm. for yourself. 
uh, as a way to help you in the development of your career. I think that's a wonderful idea. I think that we can form a board of performance directors, meaning helping bring together a grouping of people who are different than each other, who don't all think the same way, and, you know, ask them to to help you do this next project you want to do. You know, maybe anything from losing weight to trying to get a new job to, to, to getting help with, you know, your relationships to taking on a new challenge at work. Uh, I think that we can, we can bring people together to help each other and attend to how to do that. And in my book, I talk a lot about what are the ways that you can build ensembles uh, because it's not – it's actually not a natural thing for us to do anymore, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And one of the things I learned from the next section of the book on listening is how to better articulate what being a good listener looks like. I would love for you to talk about this idea of of the offers that we receive from others and make to others and maybe share some examples of, of the exercises that we might think about in order to improve our, our listening skills. So let me ask you, Jeff, have you ever done any improv? I have not, but I've been encouraged by a number of people that I should consider it. You really should, because the value of improvisation, learning how to improvise and how it affects your listening. Because here's the basic thing about improv. You know how when you, you've seen improv, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you see these, you know, you know, super talented guys or gals on stage or on television and they're they're making up a scene. They're like on the spot. They're just sort of coming up with what it is that the scene that they're performing is about. And they're so good at it that you could think that they've actually planned it before, that, mm -hmm. that they have a script. Right. But actually what's going on is that they are listening to each other in a way that is different than the way us normal people <laughs> tend to listen. Because what they're doing is they're saying yes to every single offer, every single thing that anybody says or does. And then they say, and. So you say yes, someone comes over to you and says, that's an amazing pair of antlers that you have on your head. And you say, oh, thank you so much. I just picked them up at Kohl's. Do you think the color works for me? Instead of saying, what? I'm not wearing a pair of antlers. <laughs> you say yes. And yeah. so if you take that idea that improvisers use, that, that rule, that golden rule, you take it off the stage and you bring it into everyday life, then you're going to hear things that you normally wouldn't hear because, you know, what do we do when we're talking with other people much of the time? We're thinking about what we're going to say when they <laughs> stop talking, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but with improv, your job is to create with others uh, and to build with others. So a technique that I talk about in the book is one where you say yes and to everything you hear. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with uh, what the other person is saying, but you can find something in what they're saying to yes to, yes <laughs> to right? Mm -hmm. But that means you have to listen because it's got to be connected. You have to be saying yes to what you heard. Mm -hmm. So our natural tendency, Jeff, is to say yes, but. That's more typical. So that's a technique that I would recommend that people try both at work and at home. I mean, we do a lot of work, obviously, in the corporate world. And over and over again, people come over to us afterwards and sort of say in a whispered tone, can I do this with my husband? Can I do this with my wife? And say, yes, yes. 
And there, there's plenty of examples, too, in the book where that's actually uh, lived out. You, uh, Kathy shares uh, uh, quite a few of those examples. I like the example of, I think it was Alicia telling her husband that when, whenever he's late, uh, he is going to have to spend five minutes dancing with her. Yes. Uh, that evening after dinner, <laughs> and that really gets into the to the next uh, next concept: creating with with crap. Kathy calls it. Maybe th- when somebody annoys you or does something stupid, you do something creative. How, how does how does this help? Well, it, it, the, the Alicia story that you that you mentioned is is such a wonderful example. So, after she had done one of our workshops at her job, she um, she created with this crappy situation, as you said. Uh, by saying to her husband, let's dance every single time you are late. I get five minutes of dancing with you that night. And it turned this thing, which was pretty upsetting, into, oh, my goodness, this is actually a fun thing. I, dare I say, I look forward to you being late so that we can dance that night. And I think that writing a poem or, or a song or whatever about something that really annoys you relocates the problem relocates the crap. Mm. So now it's not just something that's really upsetting or demoralizing or frustrating to you. It's actually something that gave you a creative outlet. Another way to think about it is, like I just did some work with a team where one of the guys on the team, big, super rainmaker, meaning, you know, makes, makes, makes a lot of money for the company. Mm. And he's, he's a bully, He's, um, you know, he's really, he sort of creates a toxic environment at work. And how do you create with that kind of crap? You know, (laughs) like, what do you do there? And so what you do is you say, yes, this is something that's going on. Yes, it's something that we need to deal with. And then you say, what, what else can we do given that this is going on? And so what, what we were able to help this team with was, was to say to this guy, in a supportive way, you know, I'll, I'll call him Bob. You, you know, Bob, this, this doesn't really work for us. Can we, can we figure out another way to deal with the things that you feel frustrated about? Because we're not happy with this situation. And they did it in a way that was, it wasn't finger pointing. It was, it was actually like, let's figure this out together. And so the result was that this thing, which was really undermining the team, became the thing that galvanized the team to move forward in a new way. Do you find, Kathy, that that a lot of teams have similar issues? Are you often tackling a lot of the same kinds of things? Yeah, yeah, we actually are. Mark Twain, and I I quote him in the book, there's this wonderful quote, something like, um, let's make a special effort to stop communicating so that we can have some conversation. (laughs) And that was, you know, over 100 years ago Mm. before, you know, we had anything resembling the kind of technology and capacity to communicate (laughs) that we do now. Um, I think there's a difference between communication, which I would think of as maybe transaction and just sort of the trading of information uh, and conversation where we really are hearing each other where we're, um, we're slowing down and, um, and taking in what the other person is saying, figuring out and creatively how to build with their input. And, and so I think that that's a big challenge for teams because understandably so, you know, people are there to get a job done. You know, they're not there to sing Kumbaya together and, <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. However, what people don't often see 
but eventually do see through through this performance work is if we attend to building the ensemble, if we support each other to perform in new ways, then we can create an environment where we're going to be more productive, we're going to be more collaborative, um, and we're as leaders, people are getting a a better sense of the whole picture. Like sometimes one of the one of the challenges that we deal with a lot is people are are what's called you know, siloed, mm-hmm. meaning they're, they're like, they're, they have a very narrow vision, narrow, they're just working like head down on their area and they're not seeing the bigger picture. Right. And so once again, sort of stepping back and seeing that you're part of a larger ensemble and then working on how to communicate with each other, which includes things like maybe, you know, talking about tough issues. W- one of the examples I give in the book is um, we do a lot of work in hospitals the handoff between units, like between the emergency room and the medicine, what's called general medicine, that's a, that's a moment, that's a scene at, in the hospital setting that's very tense and very stressful. But if you work together to discover, gee, what, is, what does this person need on that side of the door and the other person need on, on this side of the door? And sometimes the way you find out what people need and how best to co- to Converse is you have to pretend to be the other person, and so we we literally recommend you know put not just like metaphorically put yourself in other people's shoes, put <laughs> yourself in other people's shoes. <laughs> yeah, and, and go back and forth playing those those roles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that as we mature, we sort of forget how to be creative. Uh, we 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 go into that knowing phase. Uh, improvisation at it at its heart really is a, a form of of play for adults, right? But but it, but it's more than just a, a, a cool little technique. Yeah, I think it's a way of life, mm-hmm. and so that is the final fundamental, which is to improvise your life. And I mean, this may sound like really weird and sort of <laughs> radical, but I think we can create our lives anew every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether that means that. You're going to walk to work in a different way. You're going to drive to work in a different way. You're going to enter your office, you know, and instead of going right to your desk and doing what you normally do, you're going to stop by, uh, you know, Roberto's desk and say, hey, you know, how you doing? What, what are you working on these days? And, and, and you're going to, um, you know, when, you're, when your husband or wife or your partner comes home, uh, at the end of the day, instead of just like looking down and doing what you're normally doing, you know, watching TV and, and muttering, oh, you know, <laughs> you could you could get up and, you know, give them a big hug, you know, and say, I'm really happy to see you. <laughs> and this is like year 20. You know? <laughs> and so I think that we can get stuck mm-hmm. and, and, and in our roles and our scripts. And so if we're improvising our lives then we we have so much more available, so much, so many different kinds of possibilities. Part of what it means also is to draw on what we see, imitate other people. You know, you see somebody doing something that's like, oh my goodness, I could never do that. Well, what could you do of what they do? <laughs> you know, so if you go to a Broadway show and you think, oh my God, you know, I missed my chance to be in the chorus. Well, take some ballroom classes, you know. But as we go about our days and and through often what are many, you know, mundane tasks and ways of doing things, if if we struggle with thinking of 
implementing improvisational moments into our daily lives, we need only remind ourselves, don't we, that even those mundane things we've fallen into were at one time improvisations? I love what you're saying. They were improvisations, but the strange thing about human <laughs> life is that we forget that we created them and made mm. them up in the first place, mm. and they become, you know, sort of just the rule. <laughs> and this, by the way, is not just our own like individual and personal sort of rules and habits, but even the culture at, at large. It's like human beings made up that this is how it's going to go. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we can challenge that. And so, yeah, we can keep making up, you know, breaking the rules and making up new ones. Kathy, I'd be curious to know what you feel is is kind of the most gratifying part of what you do. What's what's the most satisfying part of your work? I love seeing people and supporting people to take risks, to if you will, struggle with oh, I don't know how to do this. This is hard. This is embarrassing. And this is impossible. And then through performing, and this, this, it's weird. It's a, it's a scary thing to perform in new ways, but there's also something very safe about it because you're not saying this is exactly how it's going to go and this is who I am. You're sort of trying something out. And through that process, the benefits that people get as a result of taking that risk and of coming out the other side, I just find that so deeply moving and so so um, nourishing in terms of the human spirit <laughs> and, 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 and in helping people to discover that they can do more than they currently are doing and that they have other people around to support them. We have this crazy exercise, uh, which, again, I talk about in the book. And I'm getting, by the way, I'm getting feedback from readers who are telling me they're doing it on their own, which mm. I just love. It's an exercise where we have people perform their lives in one minute, mm. get up on stage and do a one-minute performance of their lifetime. And my God, what is that? You know, are you crazy? You know, and yet people who are very conservative and very quiet and who would never sort of open themselves up in, in front of their colleagues or people who are vivacious, considered, you know, vivacious and type A personalities get up on stage and they perform something new. They take that risk and then they say, wow. I never knew I could do that. I never told anybody this, you know, <laughs> and the people around them say, oh, my goodness, I've worked with you for 10 years. I didn't even know that you were either, you know, dealing with this challenging issue. I didn't even know you had a family, you know, <laughs> um, and I just find that very, very nourishing because people build a sense of community. They build more confidence in themselves. And um, uh, I like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> In some of those stories, uh, uh, examples, real life examples that, that that were shared in the book are just really heartwarming. Uh, just to see how these teams are are for the first time beginning to truly uh, connect with one another. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to ask uh, in the little bit of uh, time we have left, Kathy, a couple of questions that aren't directly tied to the book. But before I do that, is there is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we walk away with? Uh, buy it. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, yes, by all means. Buy it. And uh, yeah, and and please, if people, you know, are on social media to follow me on Facebook, mm -hmm. Kathy Salit Author and LinkedIn and Twitter. And that's, by the way, Kathy with a C and last name S-A-L-I-T. 
Yes. Well, uh, there's the, the list of 20 plus books that, that you have in the back of your book for additional reading. Uh, whether it's one of those books or uh, others, I'd love for you to name a book or two that over the years has had an impact on you. Maybe it's a book or two that you go back to again and again. Yeah. One book is called Free Play. Free Play, and it's by an improvisational violinist. Uh, his name is Stephen Nachmanovich. Uh, he actually has just written a new book that, that um, I hope is going to get published soon. And he, he talks about improvisation primarily in the musical sphere, but he does a, an amazing job of carrying it over into everyday life. So I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful book. Another book is called Let's Develop by Fred Newman. And um, this is a book, he's a therapist, um, and he's actually one of my co-founders of Performance of a Lifetime. He, this is by the late Fred Newman. He passed away a couple of years ago. And it's a wonderful book about um, how to keep growing and developing as an adult and everything from, you know, how to handle vacations to relationships to <laughs> talking to strangers. So those are two books I would recommend. Mm. Um, I know you have a chance, in addition to your to your work uh, with companies uh, and performance of a lifetime, the chance to get up in front of uh, organizations and at conferences and, and do a fair amount of public speaking. I'd be curious to know, in, in your view, what are some some key elements of, a, of an impactful and a memorable public talk? What are, what are things you try to 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 make sure you implement uh, when you're in front of people? Take the stage. What does that mean exactly? That means. To really own it as an actor, one of the things that I'm that actors love and that audiences love is the experience where people are not afraid. The people that are on stage, they want to be seen. Mm. Now we might not think about it as an audience member, but as a speaker, you really want to let yourself be seen. I would say that this is probably somewhat more of an issue for women, but I've also experienced this with men too, that we, you know, in helping people in their talks. So to take the stage, to own it, to stand in silence, if, you know, if as part of that pauses are wonderful. So that's one thing to sort of really slow down and let yourself be there and let people see you. And sometimes that could mean, Jeff, you know, before you start talking, just stand there, smile, look out. Say hello. Mm. Uh, and that also will help you slow down and sort of work on your breathing. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Um, another thing is, depending on what you're talking about, it doesn't really matter. Find a way to share a story about a really big failure of yours. <laughs> mm. Get real. <laughs> Get real. Get real. Share, share a big mistake that you may not have even sort of totally turned around, mm. you know, but yeah, get real and people will love you. Are you familiar with the work of, or, or a fan of the work of uh, Michael Port in this space, the, the steal the show book that came out recently? Oh no, I don't know of it. Oh, okay. Steal the show. Is still, that yeah. Said? Still the show is the name of the book. Michael is a former actor and uh, he applies uh, many of the techniques he's learned as an actor, not just public speaking, but uh, a good third of his book that came out in October is dedicated to applying some of these techniques to that situation specifically. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it'd be one you'd, you'd really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know the book's only been out for a few weeks. I want to ask, though, uh, what's next for you and your team? Uh, is there anything you're working on now that you're excited about or want to share about? 
Oh my. Yeah, we're doing um, we're doing more and more work on helping companies with storytelling. Uh, and that's been interesting. One, one thing that I'm, I'm, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by, but as a result of the book coming out, we're getting a lot more inquiries about coaching for a lot of high profile people. And we do that in general, but we tend to work mainly with teams and organizations. And so one of the things that we're actually thinking about is putting together some group coaching that I think is going to, has been a very effective within organizations, but mm. doing it from representatives from different companies. So gotcha. um, the other thing is that we're getting emails uh, from people who are reading the book and they're, they're asking about this, this idea about a performance board of directors and asking for help on specific things that they're, that they want to do to help them perform their way to growth and to have performance breakthroughs. And so we're thinking about creating some sort of an online community, uh, to support people to do that. And that's a very new idea and mm. I'm excited about it. Well, the book again is called Performance Breakthrough, a radical approach to success at work. Her name is Kathy with a C, Salit, S-A-L-I-T. I encourage you to check it out and indeed buy it. We'll have a link to do just that in the show notes. Kathy, thank you so very much for your time. I'm really enjoying it. I'm getting a lot out of it and already applying it to, to the work that I'm doing. So appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to talk to you. To find out more about Kathy, the books that she recommended, and also that podcast episode on a similar topic I mentioned at the beginning of the show, just visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash 130 for episode 130. At the beginning of the show, I promised a special Read to Lead related announcement. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support these last almost three years uh, since I began Read to Lead, and I appreciate it more than you can ever know. It may go without saying, but I want you to also know that I attribute the success that I've enjoyed during this time to Read to Lead listeners, whether that's the podcast itself or my business in general, without people like you in my life supporting me with your encouragement and your pats on the back, I'm confident I would not be where I am today. Uh, and it just so happens that today there is yet another example of the harvest resulting from the seeds that you sown. For the second consecutive year, Read to Lead has been nominated Best Business Podcast. This is a nomination that comes from podcasting peers, but a nomination that I believe wouldn't be possible without people like you supporting the show. And and just so you know how special you are, you're allowing Read to Lead to share this honor with nine of the best business podcasts around, four of which are hosted by people who've been guests on this show, as a matter of fact. People like Dan Miller of the 48 Days Radio Show, and John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, Gary Vaynerchuk of the Ask Gary V Show, and Pat Flynn of the Smart Passive Income Podcast, and also podcasts from Tim Ferriss, Jordan Harbinger, Nick Loper, Gimlet Media, and even NPR. Coincidentally, my wife Annie is attending the Podcast Movement Conference that immediately follows this awards ceremony. And upon informing her of my nomination and the stiff competition, she said with a smile, great, I get to watch you lose. <laughs> She's actually my biggest supporter, really, but also has a great sense of humor. Uh, but seriously, again, this nomination is as much about all the support I receive that allows me to do what I do than, than anything else. And if there is ever an acceptance speech in my future, this year or otherwise, you can bet 
that you'll be included in it. Thanks so much. I also want to say congratulations to some former podcast clients of mine who have their shows nominated in the history category. It's Liz Covart with Ben Franklin's World. And in the science and medicine category, Ryan Gray is nominated for the Pre-Med Years podcast. And former client Daryl Darnell produces several shows that also received nominations. So congratulations, guys. I can't stress how important it is for you to consider visiting our sponsor, especially if you are part of a business that bills clients. FreshBooks cloud accounting software can make that process a whole lot easier for you. Find out more about them at freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Well, that wraps up another week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова